Amen. And you can be seated. I want to say a word of thank you to my brother James um, for leading us this morning in the worship team. Um, What you don't see when you gather with us on Sunday morning is um, they're being here late on Friday night to rehearse and practice and prepare to lead us in worship. And um, it's such a gift. Um, and so thankful for James and his leadership this week. Uh, standing in for our brother Matt, I just want to encourage you as we have been talking about prayer to just continue praying for Pastor Matt, who is um, on his sabbatical right now. Some of you haven't met Pastor Matt yet because you've been worshiping with us, sort of joined and began worshiping with us uh, less than eight weeks ago when he started that break. And so he'll be back um, in a few weeks, but uh, just so thankful for all uh, of the brothers and sisters who have stood in and led us so well. Um, you know, as we sing that song, before I dive into our study in the book of Acts this morning, just really mindful of God's faithfulness to us. Thinking about God's faithfulness to this church is such a gift to me. Um, if you are unaware, and you'll learn about this, by the way, if you don't know this already, that's why you need to come to City Church 101 um, right after this service. But you'll learn in 101 that our church was planted uh, um, just over nine years ago. And to see all that God has done in these last nine years is just such a testimony to my heart. I've been able to have a front row seat to that, um, to see God's faithfulness. Um, to see the leaders that led those students to camp last week. And there's so many of them who, uh, by the way, you should know those leaders, many of them gave up vacation time so they could go and be with your students, with our students to care for them. Um, If it's okay, hey, if you're a leader from student camp, would you stand if you were one of the adult leaders that went to camp? Um, I just want to honor you and say thank you. We're so thankful um, for your investment and your willing to sacrifice your time. Um, Caleb was probably a little bit off on his time because he spent a week at camp and he's still probably a little bit exhausted. Um, I also want to remind you as we do gather to pray, as he encouraged us on Thursday evening, six o'clock is a family meal. We'll gather for a dinner. And so it's a great opportunity for us to just have some family time together to have community with one another at six before we begin praying at seven. Um, And please register for that. You'll, You'll receive an email this Tuesday morning. If you've ever connected with our church in any way, you should be receiving emails from us. If not, you need to fill out one of those contact cards at our welcome desk, Um, but you'll get an email that allows you to have a link to register uh, so that you can uh, register and we make sure that we have enough food for you uh, Thursday evening. So please, I do want to just plead with you, uh, brothers and sisters, come and pray with us. Come have a meal together and then come in this room and let's pray um, uh, this Thursday evening. Finally, I've been gone for the last couple of weeks, not able to be here with you because I and our brother Don Wagner uh, were in Malawi, Africa, and I had the opportunity to join him in training pastors um, in Malawi. We spent time with 12 pastors who are going through a training program to be equipped. They don't have access to theological training. A lot of the blessings that I have enjoyed in my life, um, they don't have those opportunities. They have not had access to that. And so through Don's ministry, we were able to travel and go and teach them. And uh, let me just tell you, uh, brothers and sisters, to see what God is doing through that ministry, to be a part of that, to be helpful in just a small way of equipping the local church. There's 12 pastors. That means there's 12 churches in that refugee camp 
that are being encouraged and equipped. And I believe this Sunday morning are preaching more faithfully to the word of God because of our opportunity to be with them. And so um, it's a great blessing. And it's because of the generosity, the faithfulness of this church that I'm able to be there. And so um, know that God is moving all over the world. We see it in our students. I got to see it in Malawi. Um, There's so many things that God is up to. And as I often say, the fact that we might be aware of three of them is really cool. Um, But we get to see God at work. And God is moving, and he's moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what we are studying in our book of Acts. And so if you want to open your Bibles, in just a moment I will uh, read for us from Acts chapter 9. We're continuing our study in the book of Acts. Again, if you haven't been with us before, we have just been making our way through this book. Um, You can catch up. If there's a place where you find a podcast, you can find the previous sermons um, and catch up with us. But we're still in the first, uh, you know, near the opening chapters of this book, so it's not too far behind. But I want to remind you, going back all the way to Acts chapter 1, what Jesus promised his disciples. He said that to his disciples that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. He made this promise to them that he would do that through them. His gospel would reach the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what we have seen Jesus doing. He's methodically been working his way. We've seen geographic areas and groups of people that have been reached with the gospel as we've studied this book. And as we come to Acts chapter 9, we are going to see how God will call someone who will call Saul to take that gospel message even further out to the ends of the earth. The last time we saw Jesus in person is when Stephen looked up upon being stoned and he saw Jesus. He saw him face to face. And Jesus was welcoming Stephen home in Acts chapter 8. And now Jesus is going to have a face-to-face interaction with Saul. And he's going to have that interaction. He's going to call him to himself in order that his mission might be accomplished. His mission to reach the world with the hope of the gospel. You know, so often I think... We feel like we know what's best for us, right? Parents, you know especially what is best for your kids, don't you? Way better than they do. So often we are tempted, though, to think that it is our plans that are perfect, that we exactly have everything scoped out. I can tell you that if you would have met me about 10 or 11 years ago and you would have asked me about what is it going to look like as you lead out to plant City Church, I would have told you all the plans that I had and I would have told you they were perfect and this church was going to be amazing. Now, in God's kindness, it is amazing, but it's not because of my plans. It's because of God's kindness. But we always feel like we have the perfect plan. We, exactly, we know exactly what to do. And the story of Saul's conversion is a great reminder to us that God's ways are not our ways. As the great prophet Isaiah said, his ways are higher than our ways. He understands and sees things that we will never comprehend. His purposes for us are greater than our purposes. Honestly, our dreams, our passions, our plans, quite candidly, they're way too small. They are not near big enough because God has even greater things. And that's not always through me. It's not to make me greater, but he has greater plans than I could ever even imagine. That's what Paul testified to, that he is the one who makes the thing that is exceedingly abundantly far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. He is the one who delivers on those promises. By the way, he's the one who plants those promises in our hearts in the first place. So if we dream, we dream too small. We don't dream big enough because God's ways are higher. And this transformation where we're going to see in the story of Saul's life is a reminder of the sovereign plan of God 
to accomplish exactly what he intends to accomplish. And it is also a reminder of the sovereign power of God, that there is nothing that can stand in the way of God doing what he intends to do. It is such a peaceful existence for me to know, friends, that God has a plan for my life, for my family's life, for my wife, for my children, for the church that I've been called to shepherd and care for. And he has a plan and he has the power to accomplish that plan and nothing can stand in the way of that. There's no mistake that I can make that can get in the way from God doing what he intends to do. Isn't that a beautiful, that power you hear rumbling in the sky, that's just a, and the smallest glimpse of the power of God to accomplish what he intends to accomplish. So if you're able, would you please stand as I read from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if they found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, into the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road to which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your power on display in the life of our brother Paul, once named Saul. His testimony led to the reality that we have a testimony, that we know the name of Jesus because of what you did in his life. I thank you that your plans are greater than our plans, and I thank you that your power cannot be outmatched. I pray that we would all be encouraged as we marvel in those two things, marvel in the truth of knowing your plans are perfect, knowing you will accomplish exactly what you intend to do, and nothing can stop you from that. I pray every soul in this room would know that power, Lord. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. 
So as we come to Acts chapter 9 again, the last time we saw Jesus was when Stephen was meeting Jesus face to face. Here now Saul is going to meet Jesus. But if we look at the very beginning, we see the murderer's plan. It says of Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord's. If we go back to Acts chapter 8, the first time we ever heard Saul's name mentioned, you may remember this in Acts chapter 8, Saul was the one who stood at Stephen's stoning. And it said of Saul that he was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is that same Saul that we meet here who is breathing threats. Later on, Saul or Paul would testify by the way of his own heart, his own condition, as he's standing before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, we'll get there many months from now. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And so I did in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote with them. Saul hated the church. Saul hated the name of Christ. And this idea of breathing threats and murder, you can see it was a, it was a part of his, his, his nature that he was just so zealous for the way of God. He did not stop thinking about how he could stop those who followed the way. Before they were called Christians, they were referenced here, it says, as the people of the way. People of the way, the truth, and the life people who followed Jesus. This was Saul's life mission. He would describe himself as zealous for the Lord. He believed that what he was doing was being zealous for the Lord to stop the spread of the gospel. And murder was on his breath. Saul will do whatever he has to do. He will go to whatever lengths he could to stop these Christians. He'll go on the road all the way to Damascus. By the way, Isn't it curious? We don't get to see, Luke doesn't record for us how the gospel reached Damascus, but if you are are interested in geography, Philip went south, Damascus is north, and the gospel has reached, Damascus is some 130 miles north of Jerusalem that we don't know exactly how the gospel got there, but it's already there, and Saul says, I better go up there to stop what God is doing there. Although he doesn't believe it's God, he believes that it is a false worship, a false God, and so He's going north to stop the spread of the gospel, and he believes everything that he is doing is right. Saul was zealous to stop the way, to stop those. He goes to ask for permission from the synagogues at Damascus to be able to persecute the Christians. And as it says there in verse 2, that if he found any belonging to the way, he might bind them up and take them to Jerusalem. Well, Saul did have a plan, but Jesus' plan, once again, was greater. Jesus meets Saul on this road. It says in verse 3, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Saul had a plan to murder and stop the spread of Christianity. Jesus had a greater plan, and the light of the world showed to Paul. Do you remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That light, the light of Jesus, Jesus himself, his glory shining so brightly that it blinds Saul on the road. That light appears to Saul. And notice what he says to Saul. 
Saul, Saul, he uses his name twice there in verse 4. This idea of using the name twice, it indicates that he is passionately reaching out to Saul. This isn't some sort of, hey, bud, could I have a little conversation with you? Can we talk? Can we pull you off to the side of the road? This is Jesus saying, Saul, wake up. I have a message for you. And he asks him, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Do you see what Jesus asked him? He wants to know why Saul is persecuting him. Have you ever thought that there's Jesus and there's you? And yes, you may say, I believe in Jesus and I follow Jesus. He's my savior. But it's sort of like Jesus is over there and I'm over here. And God kind of cares about Jesus. I definitely get that. But I'm not sure he cares about me. Listen to the words that Jesus says. Why are you persecuting me? He's saying, when you're coming after and harming my people, that is me that you are harming. I am one with them. We have union with Christ. This is a very important doctrine, friends. It's not something that should be lost and just thought of, oh, that's deep theology, something I don't need to know. You have oneness with the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Christ is with you. And when you hurt, when you fear, when you have anxiety, when you have doubts, when you have things that come in your way, Jesus is there with you. He's with you in that mess. He's with you in that pain. He's with you in that suffering. That's why he says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus expresses and shows us that he has solidarity with his people. He has union with us. When we talk about, look throughout the New Testament. I dare you to search it this week. In Christ. Just search those two words, in Christ. One of the kids will figure out this. How many times does Jesus say that? How many times does God's word? When you say that, Jessica will have a prize for you. But anyway... Look it up. He's persecuting Jesus himself, not just the people of God. He is persecuting Jesus. I want to remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord... Did we see you hungry, feed you, thirsty, give you drink? Did we see you a stranger and welcome you, naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus is one with his people. Saul doesn't even know who is speaking to him. And as he introduces himself to Saul, he says, I am the one who you are persecuting. These people are mine. Let me tell you who I am. I am these people. I am this body of Christ called my church. Friends, Jesus doesn't just call you his own. You are his and he is yours. If you feel that Jesus is distant from me or from you, if you feel that there's some sort of separation between you and Christ, Let this word encourage you that Jesus is with you. He dwells inside you. The Holy Spirit of God dwells with you and you are one with him. It's a beautiful truth to remember. And so Jesus introduces himself. This light shines brightly. Saul asks, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. If we skip down before we finish that section of the story, I want to skip down to Ananias' side of the story that picks up in verse 10. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord says to Ananias, go, you're going to be sent to visit Saul. 
See, Jesus had a plan for Saul. Jesus also had a plan for Ananias. And that plan was going to be, he was going to be used by God. He's one of the believers that was following the way. He's one of the believers, by the way, that Saul was on his way to round up and take probably to his death in Jerusalem. And now he is told, I want you to go find this, Saul. Let me tell you where he's at. And you're going to do some things. You're going to pray for him. He, by the way, is receiving this vision at the same time, simultaneously to Saul receiving a vision of him coming to visit him. It says that while Saul was receiving the vision that Ananias would come to him, Ananias receives the vision to go to Saul and is told. And God says he's going to use Ananias. Ananias is going to be part of the story. Even in this seemingly small way, Ananias is going to be part of the story of God reaching the ends of the earth. In June of 1987, the American president, Ronald Reagan, traveled to Germany and stood before the Berlin Wall. And he gave what is known as one of his most famous speeches. A famous speech where Germany was divided. For those of you who are a little bit young and don't remember this time in history, we had East and Western Germany divided by a wall, the communists ruling the Eastern side. And President Reagan is sent to speak and to give what was known as just a foreign policy speech. But he issued the words that became some of the most famous words that he'd ever say. He said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And two years later, that wall came down. And freedom and hope reached a part of the world that it had been long apart. And I can tell you as a child watching that, I thought it was amazing. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. Paul Robinson was a 30-year-old speechwriter who had dinner with a woman in Berlin. And that woman told her all the things that she wished she could tell Mr. Gorbachev and President Reagan. And she uttered, uttered those words, and Paul, being a good speechwriter, wrote them down, and he delivered those words to the president. None of you knew Paul Robinson's name before this moment. But God used him in a powerful way to do something that he intended to do. Can I tell you about my older brother? who wrote a letter to me to talk to me and tell me the hope of the gospel, to tell me of Jesus? Can I tell you about my friend Joe, who you've met before, who's preached in this church a few times, who God used to confirm my calling to vocational ministry? Can I tell you about my friend Michael, who invited me to preach on a short-term mission when I had never preached before, and he just said, okay, you're up, dude. Can I tell you about my young friend Spencer, who when I moved to Melissa, introduced me to some friends of his church, his pastors at the Parks Church that helped us to launch this church. Those are unknown names to many. In the same way that Ananias was a seemingly small figure in Saul's conversion, but God used him in a powerful way. We love the story of the heroes. We love to look at Saul's story and we kind of think of ourselves, we wanna be in Paul's story. There are those behind the scenes. Every time there's one of those stories written, there are others who heroically give a word of encouragement, give a word of challenge, issue a hug, somehow just love on us. They do all these. The Lord uses those things, and he uses us. We all have these Ananiases in our life who've come to us and said, I believe in you. I want you to know this truth. Many of them come to us the same way Ananias probably came to Saul with a lot of fear and trepidation. I know who this man is. I know what he's done in Jerusalem. I know the death that he intends to bring upon me, but I'm gonna be faithful to what God has called me to do. Friends, 
As you hear those stories and you think about God's big plan, don't be the one that says, no, I won't go. No, I won't say that word. No, I don't have any, it's too much for me to speak. I don't think there's any, I don't have any wisdom to offer. Say yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in you. When Jesus tells you to go, go. You never know what God might be doing. I can assure you that Joe and Spencer and my brother and so many others had no idea what God was doing and what God would do through City Church, Melissa, in 2014 and five. None of them had that in their mind's eye. I didn't have it. And God used them in small ways to write my story. And I know that all of you have stories that have been written and there are people you can think about in your past who, like Ananias, have been those encouragers, have been those people who spur you on. Yes, Jesus has a plan. Saul had a plan to murder all the Christians to stand in the way. Jesus had a plan for Saul's life. Jesus had a plan for Ananias' life and he would accomplish those plans. He would do so because Jesus is powerful. We see Jesus' plans on display. We also see Jesus' power at work. You know, Paul would testify again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, his letter to the church in Corinth. He would talk about Jesus' power in his life. And he said of himself, last of all, as the one untimely born, kind of saying, I wish I would have been born a little bit earlier. I could have walked with Jesus for those three years, maybe like the other disciples. But no, that wasn't what God's plan was for me. No, I was untimely born. But he appeared also to me. Saul would never forget the power of Christ appearing to him. And this is what he spoke of there in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus appeared in that light, that powerful light, in great power. And this was an encounter that Saul would never forget. So powerful that even his traveling companions heard him speak. Notice again what it says of the men who were with him in verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. They couldn't see Jesus. They weren't blinded by the light, but they could hear the words that were spoken. So powerful that Saul was blinded. The glory of God shone so brightly in his eyes that his eyes ceased to be able to see. By the way, so powerful that this zealous man, this man who had a perfect plan, he thought he had everything figured out. He knew exactly what God had told him to do. He is confronted in such a way that he ceases to argue. Can you imagine that? This is like a three-year-old just stopping arguing. Just stop just saying, okay, I'm done. You are right. That's never happened except for right here. Saul, so zealous, so believing exactly what he was supposed to be doing and not going to be turned away from that. And yet Jesus' power shines so brightly it blinds him. And he says, yes, sir, I'm in. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. As we unfold the rest of this book, we're going to see the effects of this conversion experience, this powerful experience that that, uh, Saul encountered Jesus with. We go back to the story of Ananias, again, looking at both of these sides of this story. Ananias is told to go, and he says to Jesus, but do you know who this guy is? Jesus says, yeah, bud, I get it. I know exactly who he is. But he's going to be the instrument in my hand, and he has no power to confront or to change what I intend to do with him. I will use him. He says to Ananias, go, verse 15, for he is a chosen instrument of mine 
to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I'm going to show him just what it means to be zealous for me. I'm going to show him how my power is at work within him. Where did we get this idea that following God and being used by God was going to be some cakewalk? Some easy life? We speak often against the prosperity gospel, but friends, let me tell you, that's where it sometimes has crept into our Western churches, where we believe that following God is something that should be easy, that if we just are faithful enough and we do what God says, that everything's going to go great for us. Jesus says to Ananias about Saul, who will become Paul, I'm going to use him and I will show him Not how many great things he's going to do for me. I'm not going to show him how many conversions are going to come through him. I'm not going to show him all these. All those things are pretty true. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I'm going to show him just what it means to zealously follow me to the point of losing his own life. Jesus' power at work. This is Paul who, by the way, would testify in his weakness, Jesus is made strong. He is made strong through Christ. Christ is revealed, the power of Christ is revealed through him. And Jesus' power is on full display here as he rescues Saul and commands Ananias to be an instrument of carrying that message. What will Jesus use his power to do through Saul? To carry his name. To carry his name. Jesus' name will be made great upon the earth. He has the plan to do that, and he has the power to do that. This is why, again, Paul writing in Philippians 2 says of Jesus, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' name is will be made great. It will be. We don't have to doubt that. We don't have to question that. We don't have to wonder how. We don't have to do anything. We just need to trust and know that Jesus' name will be made great. And he uses us in his plans, and he works his power very often through us. But it is his name. It is his work. He is the one that is doing it all. As we think about this text, friends, I want you to be reminded that God is sovereign over your life. He has a plan for you, a plan for your future. But I want to encourage you to plan for your future less. Maybe stop thinking so much about year after year, month after month down the road, and plan to just simply be obedient today. Plan to be obedient because God has a plan for you. You might not know it. In fact, you probably won't know all those plans. It'd overwhelm you. You'd shrink back probably in fear, in anxiousness, in doubt. So plan to be obedient as you trust in the sovereign plan of God. And trust also that God's sovereign power to accomplish those plans for your life, the bright future that you have cannot be overcome. 
I've got to believe that there's somebody in this room right now who feels as if they are too far from God to be rescued. God's power, as Ali testified, cannot be outmatched, cannot be outrun. You are not too far from God to be rescued by Jesus, friend. Would you believe that today? Believe that God brought you here according to his perfect plan to accomplish his perfect will for your life and to reveal in power who he is to you. Believe in that Jesus. Followers of Christ, do you think you can't be used by God? Is there something in you that you feel like I'm weak? I don't understand this. I don't know this. I've got this past. I've got this history. Whatever it might be, you feel like I can't be used by God. There is a, once again, there is nothing more powerful than God's power to be used by, to use you in a way that he intends to use you. If you think you're weak, you think your past is too horrific, whatever it might be, know that God's power is greater. You know, if God were a man like we so often like to make him out to be, we try to create a God in our image that would do things our way, maybe some of those things would be true, but he is not a man. He is God. And there is nothing that can outlast or outrun or out overwhelm his power to do what he intends to do. You know how I know this is true? Because me and every single person in this room was once an enemy of God. I know that doesn't sound real encouraging. That's not the pep talk you look, sometimes look for. But our sinful hearts didn't make us just commit bad choices. Our sinful hearts put us at enmity with God that said, I want to do things my way. I'm not going to do things God's way. That's what an enemy of God is. And God's power to save, God's power to rescue, God's power to redeem, all of us who were once opposed to God because we wanted to do things our own way, God has overcome that. He's rescued me. In the same way he said to Saul, I'm going to give you a new purpose, a new plan in life. I'm going to display my power through you. He's done that in my life. And he's done that as I look around so many souls in this room. He's done that for me. He's done that for you. If he hasn't done that for you, if you don't understand what that is, then this is why you're here. So you could hear that he has. Would you believe that? I heard this week an old hymn. You're probably familiar with it. I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back, no turning back. A modern writer changed those words. And they apply to my story more appropriately. I never wanted to follow Jesus. I never wanted to follow Jesus. I never wanted to follow Jesus. He rescued me. He rescued me. He rescued me. No turning back. No turning back. Amen.
Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.